Are you ready to study the scripture? All right, then uh, get your Bibles out and turn to Colossians chapter 2. As you know, we've been in a study called Roots. It's a journey through Colossians, and we're just studying what it means to be rooted in Christ. Uh, not rooted in a way that makes us think that we have to do more. Not getting rooted by making sure we're good Christians, good Christian people. Not rooted by doing more good things. Not rooted by not doing bad things. Right? We're not talking. That's not how you get rooted. You don't get rooted by stopping uh, fleshly activities and, and get rooted better by doing more spiritual activities. That's not the, actually the way it works. That's not how Paul writes it to the Colossian believers. He's saying something entirely different, that you become rooted if you understand who Christ is and you find your life defined in Him, in Him. And so we're, we're talking about being rooted in Christ, and, and last week we talked about uh, mystery a little bit. You can check that out on the podcast. Um, but today we're going to jump into chapter 2, and we're going to start with our key verse, and then we're going to read through it and get to the material we're going to look at today. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to uh, lead us through the Scripture. Father, as we open your word today, would you give us revelation and insight, direction? Help us, Lord, with grace your grace that gives us power, strength, the ability to obey. Lord, we pray that you would light our path and, Lord, shine your lamp upon our, our feet as we, as we walk this journey together, a journey of following you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read our key verse, which is uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, so then, just as you have received Christ, Jesus as Lord. So he's talking to them as if they have received Christ as Lord. And he was writing a letter to these believers. And then he says, um, continue in him. Continue to live in him. Everybody say continue. continue. He's talking about continuing something that they started when they began. Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's keep reading here the next few verses because it'll lead to where we're headed today. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles. One uh, uh, translation says the elemental um, ideas of this world rather than on Christ. It's, he was talking about Challenging them, he's warning them against a philosophy that said traditions are the way to holiness. He was warning them against a way of living that made the, the philosophy of ancient things and a philosophy, um, a hollow and deceptive philosophy which is defined by the way humans have done things in the past, or by the elementary dynamics of this world, being defined by creation, being defined by what's going on around you, versus finding the truth in Christ. And this is what he begins to point out. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's saying Christ is God. He is the picture. If you see, if, you t if God takes a selfie, 
Jesus is the picture. We talked about that two weeks ago. If you, if you didn't get to hear that, you should go to the podcast. It was, it was a fun message. We talked about what would happen if God took a selfie. You would see Jesus, and you have, been, and he says, he says, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness or completeness in Christ. In other words, everything that Christ has as a picture of God, now he offers to you and to me. And so when you receive Christ, what happens is you receive fullness, completeness. You are living the human life that God designed for you to live when you are consumed, when you are defined by Christ, right? So what does that look like? He says, uh, and you've been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and over every authority. Well, the first thing we can say is Christ is over every power and every authority, which means you start living in some kind of power and authority because if Jesus has it, you can have it too. And that power and authority is over sin and over darkness and over your own flesh, over your own mind. If you will trust, surrender, believe in Jesus, power and authority begins to come into your life. And this leads us to our, our section we're going to get to today. So in him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. This is a great picture that Paul is painting for us. He's talking about all of the code, the written code of the law and how it stands opposed to you and to me. It accuses us because we cannot, in our own humanness, fulfill it. We cannot, in our own ability, obey it. We need help. We need help. It doesn't mean that the law is bad. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to make sure that it was good and that it would do something that there, that there would be something that good would come out of it. And here's what happens. He gives us the power to obey it. He gives us the strength to obey it. He wipes away the written code standing against us and accusing us. And in, in his stead, in, 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 the, in the place of that, is Christ Jesus nailed to the cross. Here's what he says. He continues to say it. Circumcision done by the hands of men, but, not, uh, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having buried, been buried with baptism and raised with him. Oh, I got off track, didn't I? I got lost there. Okay, so he says, um, having, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
I'm going to talk about this passage here, and we're going to we're going to talk about it in a context that I want you to get. But first, I want to just tell you a little story. This week, I was at South by Southwest, and uh, I, I I went there one night to see a um, a friend of ours, Amy and I. Uh, she is um, her daughter was singing at uh, the Hilton Hotel downtown. And so you know you're getting old when the, your friends uh, have kids that are old enough to go to, to sing and have a band at South by Southwest. So, so I was going to see her daughter, and she has a little band, and so we went down to the hotel. Well, we're driving down, and it's incredible how many people are down there. I mean, it is ridiculous, the amount of people, the amount of cars. And I'm, so I'm driving down there, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble I don't know how are we going to get to where we need to go, and we didn't we didn't cre- create enough time for this. I mean, I knew it was going to be busy. I didn't think it was going to be that busy. I was stuck on the outskirts, just at um, where uh, Mopac comes off and goes on to Cesar Chavez, and I was just like, we were stuck. We couldn't move, and so we're sitting there with some friends, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And then there starts to be barricades. Right, so I'm I'm thinking, how can I how can I go? How can I get to where we need to be uh, in time? So I, in my incredible human wisdom, my my intellect, uh, I think I'm going to take a shortcut. So I so I try to take a shortcut. Now I'm I'm kind of off what the map Google Maps tells me to do, and then I'm running into more barricades that have streets cut off. And then there's, of course, all those one-way streets, right? So I'm, I want to go a certain way, but I can't because I have to go an extra, uh, an extra street to get to the one-way street to get to where I need to go. And finally, I'm on this long, slow journey in the car. And we're trying to get all the way around. Now we're all the way around on the other side of the Hilton Hotel, over by 35. It's, we, we took us 30, 40 minutes, something like that, maybe longer. And I'm over there, and we're just like, we are in trouble because we can't even get back. We can't get back to where we need to be. And, 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 and then, of course, we're thinking to ourselves, where, where are we going to park? So what ended up happening was I, I instead of... Instead of actually taking a shortcut, I took what is known in my household with my kids, a long cut. <laughs> and, uh, and so we took a, this long journey around. And what turns out, as soon as we got there to, to around 35, there's a guy that um, had put a sign right up just before we had showed up at that particular spot. And it was parking. And in this parking lot, because it was a government building, it shut down, and all the people were gone, and now there was places to park. And so he put this sign up there, and there, there. For all I knew, he was some dude that put on an orange jacket was just collecting money. I don't know. Maybe we were going to get towed away. I had no idea, but, this, but I felt like it was relatively safe based on what was going on downtown, for crying out loud. I mean, there's just people everywhere and, and, and cars everywhere. So we go in, and, uh, and there's other people parked there as well. And so we find this incredible parking place all the way towards the back at this. Uh, and, and it turns out the Hilton Hotel was just like a little walk. It was like right there. And, uh, and so God, it's interesting. Uh, God often wants to take us on a journey that takes longer than we think 
it should, has more twists and turns than we want to welcome into our lives. We think we're taking a shortcut, but God has a long cut in mind for us to take us to the place where is perfect for us. As Christians, we are, I think, addicted to, uh, to a certain way of doing things. And as American Christians, as Christians who live in the society and the culture of America, we are addicted to efficiency. We like to, to know where we're going and get there and figure it out and make it happen. And we live in a, a culture of consumerism, which means it's kind of all about us and what we're getting out of this deal. And we live in a culture of convenience. So everything's about consumerism and, and convenience and, and, and efficiency. And, and then, we start to, then we start to read into our Christian walk these same cultural filters. We start to see things through these filters that don't lead us to the right place. We think incorrectly about Christ and his work. We begin to... Th- we begin to think in terms of the shortcuts. We begin to think in terms of the way we can get this done easily and simply rather than a way that takes us on a journey with God. And I think in, in many ways the, the Colossian believers were working against a philosophy that was trying to offer them a shortcut to holiness and godliness. And as you, as you look at Paul's writings, what he's doing is he's warning them not to take the shortcut. As we talk about circumcision, you can take the pun for whatever you'd like, however you'd like to take it. But there is a, there's an issue with circumcision here because it is in, in the Jewish mindset. Circumcision was a mark that God gave to Abraham and his whole family as a sign of a covenant relationship. If you, think about, if you think about circumcision, it is uh, something that is very intimate. It's very, it's, a, it's very personal. It's very invasive. <laughs> and all the men said amen. Um, and, and then, and then it's, it's also, it was also very integral to a covenant identification with, with God. That's the picture of it in the Old Testament. And it was a a picture of something. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Because what God had in mind all the time, what God had in mind, even at the beginning when when he gave Abraham that mark, is he had a foreshadowing of circumcision, a cutting away of flesh. And and Paul is talking about that here. He's talking about what, what Christ did in circumcision for us. Because what God had in mind is a relationship that is intimate and personal. By the way, God never intended just to rest on the the outward mark of uh, circumcision as the identifier for his people. He He had much more in mind, his presence, his power, his authority, his life. He wanted, he wanted them to be his people. He wanted their hearts. He marked them with circumcision, but he wanted their hearts. 
That's a, that's a, it, it was never just about circumcision. And now, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to these Colossian believers because they're being challenged by Jewish people, Ju- potentially Judaizers. We don't know. Judaizers would be kind of people who would say, hey, Jesus is good. His claims are great. We really like Jesus. But Moses is good, too. And so you need to do everything Moses told you and Jesus. You can't just have Jesus. you got to do all this stuff, too. And, and we can follow Jesus as well. What Paul was saying was that this, this is not how it works. This is not who Jesus is. Jesus demands all. He is the one and the only. There is nothing else that you need to add to him or his work. So, so you know, and you got to see it. The way it was working was these 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 young Christians who were who Paul was writing to, who he'd never met. They were struggling. They were tempted to be called God's people by adhering to these Jewish customs, these human traditions, rather than by their faith in Christ. They were, they were belong, and so the temptation was, well, I want to belong, I want to do, I want to, so I want to do the right thing, and I want, I want to be in the group, and I want to be godly, and I want to be holy, and so I'm going to do this. And it, and it shows us how easy it is for Christianity, for a relationship with God to be deduced to do's and don'ts. They were wrestling with it. And it's a foreshadowing. Number one, I want you to see that circumcision doesn't produce holiness. <laughs> the Old Testament proves that. <laughs> Here's all these people that had, that had taken the mark and then uh, holiness was not to be found. That there's something that God had in mind for them and he was going to reveal it in his perfect plan and his design and desire of choosing a group of people and then choosing a, 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 a tribe of people and then choosing a family of people and then finally one Man born to Mary and Joseph came into the world, his design from his seed, from his desire, and then he became the sacrifice, the one who took our place for sin and death and and conquered it. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to them, is that this is a big deal, and you cannot define your life by what you do and what you don't do. You cannot define your life, and this is, is, Paul was using a a literary tool here when he was saying, it's not about your flesh. It's not about the circumcision of your flesh. It's about the circumcision of your heart. It's about what, what, what Christ is doing in you, in your heart. And he uses baptism. He says, having been buried in baptism, right? And what does baptism look like? What is water baptism about? It is about identifying with Christ in his death, in his burial. You go into the waters of baptism and then you come, and, and what you're doing is I'm saying, no more of me. It, it's, it's over for me. No more of my will. No more of my thoughts. No more of, of my own way of living life. I don't live for myself anymore. I only live for Christ. I only, I'm only defining my life in terms of who Christ is now. American Christians don't get this very well either. Because we're inundated with the ideas of our rights our individualism. 
And what, what baptism is saying, and, and many of you, some of you need to be water baptized because you've never been water baptized since you believe. It is a sacrament. It is sacred. It is something that we do as a community, and there's spiritual dynamics to it. It's simple. It's in, in, into, the, into the water and then up out of the waters of baptism. Once you relinquish your life, what you're saying is no to my old way of life and yes to the new way of life in Christ. That baptism is so important. And he says it here, this is how you've been circumcised already. You don't have to go through this physical thing. He says, not, he says in him, in verse 11, you were also circumcised in the putting off or of the sinful nature or the flesh. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Christ is the one who does that in our lives. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through the faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to say that God made you alive with Christ. He forgave your sin and he canceled the written code. Canceled the written code and he nailed it to the cross. Here's what Paul is saying. I want you as believers to focus on the cross and not the code. As believers, as Christians, are you guys still with me? You guys okay? It's awful quiet in this Methodist church. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it is kind of a low-pressure Sunday, isn't it? Oh, I see the sun. It's peeking out. It's coming out. But when it's cloudy and rainy and dreary, you tend to get sleepy. But listen, it's so easy to focus on the code. Oh, I need... In order to be a better Christian, I need to fill in the blank. In order to really be holy, I need to stop this and start doing that. That is not the gospel message. Baptism is where you get cleaned up. And it would kind of be like well, coming to God and saying, um, you know, I, I really need to get cleaned up so I can give my life to God. That doesn't make any sense. It's like saying, I, I, I'm really dirty. I need to clean myself up so I can go take a bath. What, what happens, what Paul is describing is a supernatural process of yielding and surrendering to Christ, being defined by Christ, being willing for your life to be defined by who he is and not by who you are. And this happens once, and then it happens again. <laughs> And then it happens again, and then it happens. It happens every day that you get off. Get up. What? What does? What does Luke nine twenty three says? It says, "If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me." It happens in a daily attitude of surrendering, of living your life for Him, of re revealing all to Jesus. Listen. Jesus, here's the thing, it's not about the do's and don'ts. Are the do's and don'ts important? Sure they are. Of course they are. The question is, how do you deal with them? You deal with them in Christ. You don't deal with them in your own willpower. Jesus did not come to die for behavior modification. Jesus didn't give his life for behavior modification. He gave his life so that you'd stop doing bad stuff. That, that's not it. He came for something so much more eternal, so much greater, so much more transforming. He came to take your place because you deserve, we deserved, I deserve sin. I mean, I deserve death because of our sin, because of our separation from God. And, and Christ came to 
working in your life than, than some mid-level, weak, quasi-spiritual tradition. But we do it all the time. Here's what he says. He says in verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's the picture that the Colossians would have seen. They would have seen a Roman conqueror, ruler, who had conquered a people group, returning from battle with a long parade, a line of conquered foes chained together, and a big parade through the center of town, clarifying, clearly helping everybody see that this king, this ruler, this people, these people have been conquered. And at the end of the line was the king or the ruler, whoever he was, usually naked, embarrassed, shamed, bringing up the rear. What Paul says is Jesus has done that to your foes. Jesus has done that to my enemy. Jesus has done that to the seen and unseen powers. Any demonic schemes against your life, they've already been conquered. They've already been conquered in Christ. Well, Pastor Oz, why does it take so long for me to realize, well, some people's process and journey is longer than others. There's greater surrender needed And as surrender continues, God's power begins to come alive. This is what Paul is saying. Don't submit to making sin the issue or making fleshly fleshly, uh, uh, pursuits or practices the issue. You understand the the double entendre there? Fleshly practices, right? He's he's saying, saying, don't, don't use that as the center. Make sure that Christ is the center. And as you do something begins to happen. Here's what he says you're free from. Verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Those are obviously some Jewish references and, and, and probably from some others as well. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. There it is, the word, the foreshadowing. These are a shadow of the things that God was doing. Do not let anyone who delights in the false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Here's two things that happen. One thing or the other happens when you choose to focus on the do's and don'ts versus on Jesus. The first thing that happens sometimes is you begin to to feel terrible about yourself. Because you're realizing, I'm not as good as I should be. Something's wrong with me. And you would be absolutely correct. Something is wrong with me and you and all of us. We all need Jesus to rescue us. Here's the thing. So you focus on what's wrong with you and you begin to beat yourself up over it. Suffer the condemnation, the accusation that Jesus came to rid you, rid you of. But the other, things that hap- the other thing that happens or that can happen is that you start doing pretty good. And you start thinking, I'm doing awesome. I'm, I'm pretty amazing. I dealt with that stuff and it's gone out of my life. And then you're looking at other people and like, what's wrong with you? How come you can't get rid of that thing? What's the matter with you? I saw a vision of an angel and boom, I wasn't addicted to, to pornography anymore. What, what's wrong with you? Unspiritual 
mind, focused on the fleshly things, focused on things they can see or things they want to see, visions, angels, putting other people in the place of Christ, other things in the place of Christ. Only Jesus can rescue. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can get rid of those, that, that, the, that fleshly uh, dynamic within your life. And so he says, uh, he says his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And then the rest of the chapter is about why are you submitting to all this stuff? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all, these are all things that are going to perish with use. These are not the real issues. The real issue is what's going on in your heart. He says, such regulations have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I know some of you are coming to church trying to deal with sensual indulgence, but that's not the way to do it. Church isn't the way. Attendance to church is not the way. Uh, you know, is it good to come to church? <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> Amen, said the pastor. <laughs> but church isn't going to get you holy. What's going to get me and you holy? Oh, my God. Goodness, surrendering, allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way, giving up our will, giving up our own desire, redefining who we think we are in our mind by the scripture and by the indwelling Holy Spirit, letting, us, letting our minds be changed and letting our hearts be transformed and our willingness to surrender. This is the deal. So empty religion versus fullness in Christ. Check this out. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, you should watch out for a religion that judges and disqualifies others. A religion that judges and disqualifies others. A, a religion that, that makes um, a big deal out of what people do and don't do rather than making a big deal out of Jesus. Hey, are we supposed to evaluate each other? Is there an evaluation that happens? Absolutely. We inspect fruit. We, we have relationships. But, but listen, you, you can't demand it. People have, to off, people have to offer their lives for you to inspect it. When you try to demand it and you try to force them into what you want them to do, you're taking the place of Christ. It's, it's, this, is, this is tricky because we're supposed to be in relationship and we're supposed to be helping one another and, and, and walking with one another. And my opinion is if you're in a discipling relationship or you're in a community where you're really growing in Christ, guess what? You're going to have some fights. You know why? Because you're going to tell the truth in love. And then there's going to be resistance and then there's going to, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. All right. You're, you're absolutely right. Okay. All right. I, I received the correction. I'm going to go. I'm not saying there's no fights. I'm not saying there's no evaluation. But a, but a religion that focuses on judgment and disqualifying people is not what we're after. Instead, we demonstrate love and communicate truth. 
We demonstrate love and communicate truth. Uh, the next one is a self-help religion. He's saying uh, I, I, people who can think that they can do it by themselves, that they can work on the... This, this happens, I think, in, the, in our New Age society where we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this other thing and then we put it all together and then we kind of feel like it's a Christianity that we can make happen ourselves. Listen, there is no way around it. You've got to give up everything. Your own abilities, your own skills, your own uh, ideas, and they have to be, you have to surrender everything to Christ. Instead, we have to make Jesus the center of all devotion. It's not about your skill level. It's not about your strengths. It's not, about your, it's not even about your weaknesses. Neither one are, are helpful. Now, please don't jump to conclusions. Do we talk about our strengths and weaknesses? Of course. In what light? In the light of Christ and what he's done. In the light of Christ and his power and authority in our lives. An entertainment religion. <laughs> We're big into that. We want to see stuff. We want things to be cool. We want to be titillated. We, 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 you didn't like that word? Okay. It's a good word. Um, there's a lot of people that are looking for fame, even in the Christian realms. Hey, hey here's something. I hear people say, let's make Jesus famous. Jesus doesn't want to be famous. He wants relationship with people. Fame keeps people from you. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, what you find is Jesus avoiding fame. <laughs> Peter comes and looks at him and says, they're, and one, they're, they're trying to find him, and, and he's off in the, in the wilderness, and every, all the crowds are there, and they're all looking for him. And, and Peter's like, everybody's looking for you. Come on. They're all here. Come on. This is your chance. And he says, all right, we got to leave. <laughs> this is your big break, Jesus. He's like, we got to leave and we got to go to every town and every village and we got to carry the kingdom of God. He was kind of avoiding fame. We probably should too. Instead, we become rooted and grounded in Christ. Instead of, instead of, instead of being consumed with cool things and really fancy accoutrements of Christianity, we need to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Historically, emotionally, intellectually, socially, this is this is what who we are. This is what we, this is what we must be. And and part of the and part of the reason we're sitting in a commercial office building is I I think it's forcing all of us to decide who we really want to be. I mean, I hope we can have a nicer auditorium someday in our lives in our lifetime. But I don't want the auditorium to define us. We need to be defined by being rooted and grounded in Christ. We don't need to take pride in this building, nor do we need to be ashamed of it. It's not about the building. It's about being in Christ. It's about what he's doing in our hearts. It's about how we're in influencing our community and what he's doing through us. Then finally, a religion that fills the gap between God and ourselves with other things. I think we try to do this with spiritual experiences. We try to do this with works. We try to do this with others. Can only be found. Christianity. Holiness. Relationship with God can only be found in the fullness of Christ. And then 
Number five, and this is the last one, a religion that loses connection with the head. Paul is warning against a religion that loses connection with the head. Now think about this for a second. How do you lose connection with the head? Is every part of the body connected to the head? In one way or another, but it uses a lot of other pieces of the body to connect, right? Actually, the head is connected to the neck. And then there's all these things that go through the body all the way, but the body connection is so important. It's the way you stay connected to the head. You can't be isolated. You can't be alone. You can't just, you can't just worship Jesus alone in your own way, in your own time. You know what that is? That's consumerism, Christianity. Convenience, all that stuff, rather than consumerism and community and con convenience, is community and connection to Christ, the head. And people who get isolated and distanced from others and they worship on their own terms and they experience God on their, in their own way, they become disconnected to the head, from the head, and start acting crazy. Start doing all kinds of things. You ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? That's what those people are like. I have to stop. But I want to tell you one little story. I'm going to see if I can do it in five minutes. I probably can't, but I'm going to try. Oh, but maybe we should just stop. You can listen. To, I can tell the story later. No. Come on. You don't really want that. You just feel obliged to do it. Okay, I'll tell it. So, so... I asked, uh, I asked Mike and Becca's permission to tell this story, but Mike, I want to tell you a story about Mike Shelton. I met Mike Shelton when we first came to Austin, and, and we were building a launch team to start the church. And uh, they started coming, and, um, and they were great people, young couple from Chicago. They just moved to Austin, and, uh, and Mike had had a Christian upbringing, but he had become an atheist at some point along the way through his college years and just his, his intellect, he's an incredibly smart guy, had, had been an, a, a barrier to him putting faith in Christ. So his wife had lured him into the community a church there in Chicago by getting him to play the trumpet with the band. <laughs> and, uh, and he moved from being an atheist to being an agnostic. Okay, there's probably something real, but this Jesus thing, I don't know. And the intellectualism of it, he just couldn't make his peace with it. And this is kind of where he was when he joined our group. And so we had many talks about who God is and who Jesus is and, and doubt. He was wrestling with a lot of doubts. But he kept serving. He kept just being involved. And even though I would kind of press on him every once in a while, he would, you know, we were setting up and tearing down the movie theater and... We were, he was doing lights, and every, everywhere he would go, he would attract a group of people around him to, who would help, be helpful as well. So not only was he serving, but he, he would get other people serving, and, and it was cool to watch this journey, and I knew God was taking him on a long cut. <laughs> and, and, and there was, and, and I could have started focusing on his actions or the activities that I knew in his life that weren't good, but I didn't do that. 
Instead, I said, it's okay for you to belong to this community because God has a plan for you. And I want us to be a church that, where people can belong while they're in process figuring out how to believe correctly. And then once they figure out what is really true, then they become all that God wants them to be. But it happens in that order. It's very hard for it to happen in opposite order. So, so he was belonging and he was connecting and, and it was awesome. He, he, he actually started playing every once in a while keyboard in the worship band. And uh, one Sunday, it was New Year's Sunday. New Year's Day was on a Sunday two years ago, I think. Two years ago. And he showed up hungover from drinking games the night before. <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, he's telling this story for real. Listen, <laughs> here's the crazy part of the story, all right? He, I, I mean, I knew, I knew he was wrestling through stuff. But he, 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 they had this big party. And a bunch of One Chapel people were there. <laughs> And so they were all having a great time. <laughs> and they were all having a great time. And, uh, and it would be easy to zero in on that. But I, 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 he came, he showed up, and he was playing the keys. And, uh, and you could tell he was just not with us. <laughs> he might have played better that day, actually. But I don't know. But, 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 it, but, it, was, but it was this weird thing. So I, I just knew, okay, I'm going to have to talk to him about this. So I sat down after a meeting. We were at some meeting, and it was right over here, I think, uh, over here in the corner. And we sat down. We had about an hour discussion. I just started by saying, hey, Mike, um, tell me what happened last Sunday. And he began to tell me a story, and he said, I, you know, the party was kind of waning, and it needed something to get it going again. And the only way I know from my history to make parties great is drinking. So I started drinking games. And we started, we started doing this whole thing, and, 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 and I just got out of control. And some people left, but a lot of people stayed, and it was awesome. <laughs> but it was bad, and I know, oh, I, I am so sorry. I, I was terrible. And so he, he, had already, he had already gone through his own journey of, of repentance, and he started repenting to me. I didn't ask for it. I just wanted to hear from him. What happened? What's the, what's the story? So he began to repent, and I began to say, essentially, I could have said, well, you know, you really can't do that. <laughs> and that would have been the wrong thing. I don't think it's helpful to do that. But the answer to his problem is not, well, you really can't do that. <laughs> the answer to his problem was recognizing Christ working in his life. The repentance was a sign that Jesus was in there working somewhere, even though he didn't know. And I said, well, here's what you have to decide. You have to decide if you're going to cooperate with what Jesus keeps doing in your life and keeps giving you leadership. He keeps offering you opportunities to lead. But you're not going to be able to lead at one chapel unless you surrender everything to Jesus. Right? You don't have to have it all surrendered because I don't know anybody who does. <laughs> but unless you're willing. And so we had this talk. He said, you're right. I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm, never, I, I, I'm not going to... I said, you can't lead other people into drinking games. You don't know who's there. You don't know who's, who's been addicted to alcohol. You don't know... You, this, as a leader, guess what? Jesus is calling you to a higher standard. 
By the way, that's how I think it works. People get called to a higher standard by what Jesus is doing. And we need to cooperate with that as a church, right? Are you still good with the story? Are we still cool? All right. I got to wrap up. He, so he would go on a little while longer. He, he continues to, we continue to have conversation. And Well, what happened was he ended up going shortly after that to a training for Connect Group leadership. And up to this point, they'd never led a group. They just hosted one in their homes and, and in their home, and others had led. So he comes, and he, and he goes to the training, and I see him there, and I'm like, hey, what's happening? So what are you doing? <laughs> Again, what, what, what's happening? <laughs> and then he told me he wanted to lead. He felt like he, you know, he really took to heart what I was saying. And I said, well, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to let you lead unless I know that you have faith in Jesus as your Savior as the one who this thing, whole thing is about. I can't have you leading a group and the question of Jesus comes up and you start saying, oh, I don't really know if Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm like, I, I, this is fundamental to our faith. This is fundamental to who we believe Jesus is and, and I need to know that you believe that. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I do. I can't, I, I was, and we kind of wrestled through it and I said, all right, you go home, you pray about it and then I want, we're, we're going to, We'll talk about it next week. So next week we got together and he just came and he said, I am so, this is crazy. This is stupid. I believe in Jesus. I believe that this whole thing is about him, but I didn't want to, I haven't wanted to give up everything. <laughs> I haven't wanted to give up everything. I'm afraid I won't have any fun the rest of my life. <laughs> have you ever felt like you wouldn't have any fun anymore if you served Jesus? I, I mean, I, I have. And I've been having that, I mean, I had that feeling a long time because my dad was a pastor. So, <laughs> and the way to holiness was no fun. <laughs> I don't believe that though. I don't believe it. And I don't believe it for Mike. And Mike was like, this is ridiculous. I just haven't wanted to surrender everything, but it's time for me to surrender everything. And he, and he, and he said, I, I believe in Jesus. My faith is firm and I, and I, I, I want to do this. And so I said, okay, let's pray. And let's come, let me, I want to hear you pray the prayer. <laughs> I was like, I want to hear it and I want to pray with you. And so we, 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 I think this was out in the lobby here. And we just sat down and we held hands and we prayed together. And he prayed and gave his heart completely to the Lord. Now, it, was, it would have been easy to focus on the fleshly things and on all the logistics would have been easy to get hung up on the, well, where's, what, how much leadership should he have or not have? The, 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 these, are, these are extraneous things. The issue is Christ. And the issue is always pointing people back to Christ. And sometimes people will not be able to lead because they have major issues going on in their life. But that doesn't mean Jesus can't be involved in that. Because at every step, Mike kept making the right decision. At every step, he repented. At every step, he surrendered a little bit more. And finally, it came time to give it all. There was no more hiding. There was no more it's kind of staying away from what God was doing in his life. And finally, he surrendered it all. And since then, his, his, and 
since then, his life has been on an incredible trajectory. They, they, they're, Mike and Becca were struggling in their marriage, and there's all these things going on. And, and, and Becca, they thought she had a, a tumor, and uh, so they went through this whole process and, and went through a CAT scan, and were going to get the results just, um, I don't know, a year ago. And, uh, and as they went to the doctor, the doctor turned to him and said, well, looks like you're pregnant. So they went from, I got a tumor, and I got to figure out how long I'm going to live to, you have new birth in your family. I think that birth was a sign, a signal of what God was doing in their lives. They didn't even know it was coming. They couldn't get, yeah, there it is. They couldn't, isn't that awesome? They couldn't get pregnant all this time. That's why they didn't know. They'd been to the doctor. They'd been through the whole process. They'd been on a journey where they couldn't. I think God was doing something deep in Mike's life that began to show itself in the physical realm. But it doesn't start in the physical realm. It starts inside, in here. Circumcision of the heart. Then it begins to work itself out. And you do the right things because you love him. Do you get that? Mike and Becker are right back here. I want them to stand up so you can see them. They're awesome people, and I want us to celebrate their story today. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Father, would you speak to us? Maybe you're here today and you're realizing, you're realizing that your life is not surrendered. Maybe it's been a while since you surrendered. Or maybe you're just here for the first time and thinking, I, I don't understand a relationship with God. I don't know what this looks like and I need to. Pastor, I want you to pray for me. And if you're thinking that, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But I want to give you a chance to respond. And if you are here and Jesus is speaking to you and he's calling you to a greater level of surrender, a, a willingness to not deal with the do's and the don'ts, but to be willing to seek after him and a surrender to him, if that's you and you want to say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm making a, a new commitment today to seek him, to be in him, to be defined by him. If that's you, shoot your hand up in the air right now, right where you're at. Don't hesitate. Yep, I see you back here, back in the back, all the way across. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yep, over here. You can see it. Jesus has the power and authority that you need to slay every demonic darkness that is trying to get a hold of you. Every power, both seen and unseen, Jesus has the solution for you. Christ is everything. Father, would you, would you touch these people right where they're at? Would you meet them at this moment as they surrender once again, as they choose you, as they give you themselves, as they yield? Come on, everybody in the, in the place, let's... let's say this prayer together. You repeat after me. I'm going to lead you through it. Come on, all together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who died for my sins, who makes me complete, who forgives my sin and heals my past and gives me a new start. I receive him today. Jesus, I receive you today. I want my life to be defined by you. Forgive me 
for doing my own thing, for defining my life in my own way. I put my attention on you, my focus on you. I give myself to you. Work in me. Make me new today. Father, every person praying that prayer with faith, do a miracle inside of them. Power and authority in their lives because of Jesus. Power to say no to sin. Power to say yes to the work of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do it in every heart praying that prayer today. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.